This is the DevSecOps Days Podcast. DevSecOps Days Podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk. Nick, first off, uh, congratulations on your new book that's coming out. Thank you, Mark. What's the release date on that? November 20th. And the name is? Project to Product. Project to Product. Describe that. Where'd the title come from? You know, I think a lot of us have been on this journey in helping large organizations transform. I think we already see startups doing the right things, tech companies doing the right things, tech giants have absolutely figured this out. And I noticed that if you look inside the large enterprise IT organization, they've got this, to, what to me was this very bizarre and I then realized very broken layer that's completely separating the way the business thinks in terms of projects and budgets and cost centers and the way that IT people know they need to innovate, which is in terms of delivering value faster in terms of value streams. So it's really meant to be this catalyst of ripping out that layer of interaction between the business and the technology side and focusing on flow. But in general, so what's one thing that's interesting, and uh, just a sidebar, so when Tom Lemoncelli wrote his cloud administration book, you know, we, me and Damon reviewed it, and then we did a podcast. So when I called Damon, I'm like, blah, you know? And like, I, Tom, I love you. But, <laughs> but then Damon said something to me that like, that it was a holy shit moment. He said, it wasn't written for you. Like, you know all this stuff. And I'm like, and so like, I, you know, that when I read your book, I went into this like, don't think of it, because yeah. so notionally the idea, I love the idea, that you're dead on, right? Like project management is the death knell, rolling up, you know, the large big four corporation and giving you 30 project managers with Gantt charts and due dates and right, that's insane, right? Yeah. And, and so of course we got to get the product ownership yeah. and that's the brilliance. And then the thing I have to separate myself like, duh, like I've known that for five years, but then, yeah. but what you're doing is you're writing a book and I, I'm sure that you're going to affirm this, for people who actually don't intuitively know that, and that, that actually what makes the book brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I realize because I've got, you know, like you, we've got friends in tech companies. These companies are, are doing the right things, right? We've probably got friends in some of, some of the tech giants, yeah. right? And they're already doing the right thing. And I actually, you know, the book says at the start, this book is not for you, right? Yeah, this yeah. book is for those large enterprise idea organizations whose management methods come from the age before software innovation really started, right? Microsoft already has a direct mapping between their business and the way they deliver yeah. value through software. Or Amazon's team, Amazon. right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, I, you know, for me, the big exercise was understanding what, what was the difference between the way those companies innovate and what's happening in, like, the other 80% of the economy. I actually had a little study done in, like, how much of the economy is today in the hands of the fangs, the tech giants, and so on, versus everyone else. And, you know, like you said, John, all, a lot of us intuit this stuff already. We don't need this book in that sense. But what's so interesting is that just the number of business leaders uh, in large organizations who now have to manage these crazy large IT budgets, right? We're talking billion dollar IT budgets who don't get the stuff that the Bill Gates, that Jeff Bezos. You know, for years, people were telling me, like, you know, so what? I've been doing cloud. You know, Amazon puts a stake in the ground in cloud, right? And mm -hmm. They'll argue, well, I didn't cloud. Well, yeah, but, like, Amazon, like, explained it to everybody. So that's why I think why Gene is so excited about this book and that, you know, like, like you know, we all kind of had these ideas and mm -hmm. little white papers showed up here, mm -hmm. presentations, but you're putting a stake in the ground 
for the other 80%. And I think that's probably why Gene thinks it might be an MBA class in some days. Yeah, and Gene at the start, I was trying to write a very different book. He said, like, ah, he said, no, this book is going to be two years ago. That's hilarious. On every MBA, the, the thing that he said yesterday on every MBA curriculum, I was like, Gene, I can't write a book. But, okay, fine, I'll try. And then that actually became the journey is, yeah, I, I kind of see there's, there's two paths, right? One is that at every, this just blows my mind, at every tech giant today, every person who's running that company was a software developer. They intuit the stuff already. They don't need the help. Right. And so we either end up in this world where, and I, I, by the way, I thought Jeff Bezos wasn't. I did then, I actually was on a panel. You might have even been on the panel where I said, everyone except Jeff Bezos, and of course someone pointed out immediately, you know, Bezos was a programmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he had to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, and now one of the sense. two books that he recommended for everybody in the corporation was the goal, right? Like, yeah. that doesn't mandate your software. Yeah. Like, to have that insight, you had to. Exactly. So we, we have this world right now where we could either wait for the current set of business leaders to move on, but that's, we're talking 10 or 20 years, mm -hmm. right? People are living longer. That, that was actually fascinating to me about, I asked, so sorry to go on, off on a slight tangent, but the book talks about the turning point, right? Where in the age of software, we go from this period of frenzy with all this Perez VC money, stuff, yeah. yeah, Carlotta Perez stuff, exactly. And so I was talking to her about it because I said, Carlotta, oh, you talked to her? Oh yeah, oh. I actually worked with her a bunch yeah. on... You might want to say who this is now that we've yeah. opened so this can. Carlotta Perez wrote this fascinating book. Gene introduced me to it. Actually, Chris Little introduced Gene. Yeah. yeah. Um, of Technological Revolutions and Financial Capital. So she's this economic historian. She's currently at the London School of Economics. And she basically said that we've had these, you can call these different things, these contradictions, these, these long waves of... Uh, new technological means becoming cheap. Yeah, industrial revolution, they just steam in railways, mass production 100 years ago, and so on. So every 50 years, a new thing comes. And there's this period of very rapid innovation that she calls a frenzy, then a turning point where there's all this creative destruction. You know, the, the old guard basically get decimated. There's, there's this mass extinction event. Uh, and then, this is super fascinating, which is that production capital takes over. So production capital is not like financial capital where it's a VC looking for a 10x return. It's an Apple just looking to own the market and a Samsung and destroying all the jawbones in the process. Is that the, is that the inflection point that he was talking about? It's yesterday? similar to the inflection point that like more, sorry, not more. Um, who was it? Who covers this really well? And I, and yeah. We're going like, but it's worth yeah. it. Is Simon Wardley, have you followed any Simon Wardley stuff? Yeah. He, he calls yeah. it kind of from, he is the arc, very arc, but... Um, but it goes to when things become con commoditized. Mm -hmm. So a utility. So yeah. he really started his research at a cloud, but you start with kind of novel, yeah. and then you go through these trends. And now he doesn't really have a tipping point. He uses it more like a kind of a scale. Yeah. There's a point at which you, you cut over from novel to kind of standard, yep. to, and then it's commoditized and then utility. I don't know if I exact, but utility is then when you're in the, uh, exactly. the productization mode. Yeah, and so this is the, the diffusion of technology. And, uh, and there, you know, different people have taken different approaches right. to modeling it out. Carlotta's got this amazing approach because I think she talks about the turning point being this discrete thing. And I actually asked her, like, why is this turning point so much longer than the previous ones, right? And they're usually triggered by, there's, there's wars, recessions, those kinds of things can, can trigger these things. And she actually said, because people are living longer. 
and mm. and then I kind of took this That's view. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. People are staying as company leaders into their seventies, wow, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah it's, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, it's not in her book. It's not in my right, book. No, it just, but it completely insight. clicked for me. So it's like, the, the old guard is protecting its territory, and well, the old guard order? will always yeah, protect totally. its. We can just yeah, assume sure. that. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah, there'll yeah, be some yeah. enlightened old guard later yeah, in yeah. some future civilization, but the old, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the old guard will protect its territory. So I was thinking, no, we have to give tools to today's business leaders, right? People in the ads on the DevOps community understand things like technical debt. People who are business leaders, they'll, they'll listen to the words, and I realize there's a minimal set of concepts they have to understand. Maybe they don't need to understand story points, and maybe those things will sound like fairy tales to them, right? right? right. Maybe they don't need to understand change success rate, even though the people they trust better understand those right, things, right? right? Yeah, yeah. I've, I see you as the leader of this movement that you've got. How big is the community that you're trying to reach? Is it a finite layer of the community, or who are you trying to reach? So I see the, you know, this is, and this is the way kind of Gene framed my thinking about it, is that we've, we've come up, this community has already come up with basically the right set of technical practices, architectural approaches, and of course it's evolving. Like, I'm super excited about this, you know, the, the, the new track um, about, you know, like the next generation infrastructure, right? Bringing more programming concepts to the delivery pipeline. I think that's, that's super interesting. So we're going to keep evolving those things and learning in this community. But this community is basically, like I just think they're completely on the right trajectory of what the technical end of things should look like. And I think what Gene's been noticing is that and the people he's trying to bring into the community are actually people from you know, the legal a, side, the a, people well, from the board glass, side. There's been a glass ceiling, and I've had this discussion. I think there's a notional that DevOps, there might be a glass ceiling on, I don't know if that's the right term, but, but there's some kind of ceiling of like where we can get to with all mm -hmm. these great stories. Because you look at like when we, I mean, we're doing good, like CFOs are showing up, like, mm -hmm. and that's, that's interesting. But I do think that um, this notion of like, is DevOps a board level discussion? Mm -hmm. And exactly. I, in my sense right now, I think no. The question will it ever be? Uh, I think maybe not. Now, digital transformation, yes. Right. And then are all the things that we're doing today kind of necessary, but maybe not sufficient? Like, so, like all this stuff. And then, so I see that his community is, you know, less about like, hey, DevOps, this is the best book on DevOps. I don't know if this is your thing, as opposed to, like this is the aggregate of knowledge of what we have to do yeah. to drive over this tipping point to CIO. So I think the exactly. leadership point is the CIO. Exactly. So is it being is your concept going to be driven from the bottom up or the top down? Yeah. So right. And so I think uh, first of all, just what John said, I think is exactly right. I see it. Just I've just tried to put this this layer over top of what we learned in the DevOps community mm -hmm. that is simpler. It's at a higher level and it will resonate with CIOs and I think and, and with business leaders and eventually with the board, right? I you know, John, my hope is that DevOps is a word they, they know they need to understand. Um, and there's some words in you know in this flow framework, like the concept of technical debt that says if you don't understand this, you're going to be responsible for potentially, you know, the decline of your company. Like, there, there's a minimal set of concepts we've learned, like, from yeah. theory of constraints, yeah, yeah, yeah. from all of this that business leaders have to understand. Yeah, and we have to continue to keep writing, like, Mark Schwartz's books. Yeah, right? exactly. These are books that are now, and this is why Gene's kind of, like, pulling you yeah. guys to do this stuff, is to do more books that are less geeky from guys like me yeah. to guys that are actually kind of writing books yeah. or that are easy to hand. I mean, CIOs are reading the Dow's Handbook, but they're still, like, they're like, yeah, you know, they're like, yeah. do I really need to know this? But more books like this to keep populating yeah. this common messaging of 
what we need to do right, what we're doing. Yeah. Why, why would they read your book then? I mean, you've got somebody that we all know, everybody's busy 48 hours a day. What's the trigger that's going to get them to read your book? Uh, I just think the fear of failure. I'll take it's the, you know, the Phoenix Project model, right, is that somebody below a higher level. So like in the early days, right, it was somebody really at the lowest rung who read the Phoenix Project, and they passed it up to a director. Mm -hmm. And they said, you have to read this. And then it was a reasonable hit ratio. And sometimes I would tell people you'd have to gamify it, like buy mm -hmm. them a hard copy, give it to them. Mm -hmm. Of course, they won't read it. You come back a month later and say, how'd you like that book? They're like, they're like, oh, you know. And then you do it third time, and then they feel guilty that some, you bought them the book. Mm -hmm. they, they sit down and read it, right? Yeah. So, but that, that has got, we're bubbling up on this. Right now, yes. um, now the Phoenix Project's being handed to CIOs by yep. somebody who is now, look, so the, the first guy that came to the first DevOps enterprise summit came back, like, oh, God, this is insane, you gotta read DevOps And then it, it, he handed it to the director. Yep. Director comes back next year, like, oh, this is insane, he goes to the VP of engineering. Mm -hmm. like, and now we're at the stage where these kind of books are the kind of books that are actually getting handed to the CIO. I read, you know, um, Project the Product, you have to read it. And it's from a trusted, Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you know what, he's, and then maybe you do have to hack him, like you have to like do the whole buy the hard copy, come back knowing you're yeah. not going to read it, and like, yeah. oh, but you got to read it, and then like by the third time, they, but I think that's the, the, the hack, and that will be the, we're bubbling up our audience, and so these kind of books are now the kind of books where the champion is like, you know, even now, maybe even the CEO, maybe you're going to get like really energetic CIOs, you actually do the, the CEO, you have to read So you and I have discovered, John and I have discovered, that terminology means a lot when it means to getting a message out, as opposed to DevOps versus DevSecOps, being able to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. What's in here yeah, that people can use question. to start a conversation? Yeah, and so to, for me, the term, like, like with you, I think you know, the, the, the terminology is key, right? It's the way that this gets communicated within these companies, right? We've got this you know, community of thought leaders and so on. We've got the, the Phoenix Project, like you're saying, John, I think it actually was the first catalyst of business leaders starting to realize how important these, these things like flow, feedback, and human learning are, and the fact that there is these messages within that book um, that married what was happening on the technical side with the impact of the business side, right? I think that was that was a start. Yeah, it was of all a short blurb. There's like these yeah. paragraphs, like that. Just just that paragraph alone, you put on a slide yeah. and say the the 30 minute jobs that were taking you know yeah forever. Exactly. And then the guy explained a little about queuing theory and then yeah. and all of a sudden, oh my god, it's nine exactly. hours, 63 hours. Right? Yeah. And so I think in the end, I realized I actually started when I. A couple of years ago, with the genius, I was like, you know, I want to like write this book on integration panels, how we connect things. And he's like, he said, no, no, <laughs> you need to write this book for the MBA curriculum. And I realized then it was a problem of terminology and naming and taxonomy. So I, I basically spent, I think, the largest proportion of effort was coming up with the naming and the concepts of the flow framework. So these flow items, for the longest time, for example, was features, defects, security, and debt. And then, of course, you know, I had a chance to talk to to Allspot, to people like John Smart and so on. And John Smart said, no, you know, you can't call it just security. I've got to deal with PII. I'm dealing with GDPR today, right? Yeah. So it was, it was coming up like, and just iterating over and over, some with the technologists, but mostly with actually the, the business leaders funding these transformations or just on the line for making them successful, so, words that would resonate with so them. So now, one of the things, so this is the part where I'm going to get tough, right? Yeah. Right, so, so first off, I, I just, you know, I, I love the idea that you're putting um, a kind of uh, guardrails on us, understanding like mm -hmm. flow, and then I, I start losing a little bit when you say there are four 
kind of mutable ways to describe our work. Yeah. Um, for well, immutable ways? That's my word, okay. but you used a, a better yeah, word. It's you said, good enough for you. You said yeah. that yeah. the. Uh, um, Misi. Mutual exclusive. You said that. You said mutual exclusive, right? Yeah. So, um, and I'm like, okay. And, um, and, like, and I think that you somebody has to do this on a broad scale when we're like, stop having this nonsense about what, what work is at yeah. that level. Right? Absolutely spot on. I'm not sure that, like, that maybe your definition would be evolutionary. Because one of the things that we talk about in DevSecOps, right, is kind of a bug is a bug is a bug is a bug. Mm -hmm. So I think that you sort of um, decoupled issues with security. And that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of an anti-pattern to where DevSecOps is coming. What we want to do sort of is, um, I always say, you know, that every, don't have a different categorization, different storyboard mm -hmm. for vulnerabilities and defects that are security defects. Mm -hmm. They're just defects. Yeah. And so I say you need to DevOps the defect. So if you're using Jira, then it's a Jira and it's a defect. Yeah. Right? And, and uh, because this, the minute you start categorizing. Now, I think inbound pull requests for like, I need something, almost yeah. like request for service. Yeah. But again, there you could also argue that it's just a request, right? Yeah. We have to, the whole notion of a DevSecOps is to sort of normalize the security into what we do yeah. and stop the kind of bifurcation of like there's a group over here and, and this. Because at the end of the day, these are bugs. Yep. So you're saying that he's got four principles that you want under one umbrella? Well, no, so he's, he's got issues and risk as two different categories. Okay. I've got defects and risks. Yeah. No, and I totally get your point, John. I, I struggle with this a bunch. Um, defects and risks as two different, basically, types of work, uh, categorizations of work. And I'll give you another one. The, the but other I mean, one just I, to make sure I nail this right, like, so... You got it right. A critical, that's an issue. Like a critical yeah. needs to be a defect. Yeah, because the, the the more we kind of keep it in it, even if it's just a risk and it hasn't happened. Well, yet. I mean, again, um, requests for service on risk, mm -hmm. like um, adding more compliance into the pipe or the, or or things that have to go into new features. Yeah, like like I'm kind of split on that one. Yeah, but the minute you start thinking about like uh, a vulnerability and a defect as a different category which might mean a different system, which might mean a different flow, which might actually not be in the... Yep. It has to be you DevOps the work, right? That's right. And so, so this is where with these... So you, we've got these different taxonomies, right? Like in the DevOps handbook, you've got that triangle kind of visible, invisible work. So architecture, for example, is invisible to the end user, but contributes value, right? And another one, I, I struggle actually even more. So you've, you've nailed it. This, this was a struggle. So it may be evolutionary, no, so Did this I is where I want to take a different, a different approach. So, and I'll, I'll just give you, so I think you've got the one kind of tricky example with a security defect. Is it just a defect or is it actually risk work? Another one's architecture, right? Everyone thinks of architecture um, and then, you know, scaled out the framework to enablers, you've got enablers and so on, as a separate type of work. And I said, okay, we are not going to convince business leaders out of an MBA that, you know, what architecture is. So. For example, the way that the flow framework maps into our taxonomy is we've got, like, you know, say a task stop, we've got an architecture, architectural improvement issue type, or there's some architectural improvement, like tech debt work items, but they'll actually map into either a risk, like if we're redoing our SSO stuff, single sign on stuff, um, it'll actually go into probably a I love risk. that. By the yeah. way, I do love that. That, yeah. I, that, that example but is. But it'll spot still on. be, you'll still have an issue type for architecture. And I think you're totally right. As, as, so we've got these 
two orthogonal views. So a secu- a defect, like you said, it, John, a defect is a defect is a defect. A bug is a bug is a bug. A bug is a bug is a bug. Exactly. But over top of that, we put on this flow item taxonomy to know that when the team needs to be able to have a concentrated focus and then actually work on all these different potentially features, like improvements to make to reduce risk. So they're going to implement a whole new, um, you know, s- testing, a test harness for, uh, for security or for site availability again, and so like, on. So I would say that it's a different start, kind of work. you're like spreading out what we don't want, which is we then want to get, like if you look at Fannie Mae, right, mm-hmm. our 2019 project is to get basically meld security into TDD. So like when yeah. developers are doing t- test driven development, totally. it's like, every, it, yeah. again, it's the bug is a bug. And it's, bug, the right, it's the right, right thing. And then when you do BDD, right, it's just yeah. BDD, which covers, yep. you know, QA and it covers vulnerabilities. It covers looking for That's like, right. open ports or. Yeah. And, but the, the thing that the flow framework does is that let, let's not look, we, we know whether a point of view from technologists is a, a bug is a bug is a bug. Um, it actually takes the, basically the customer, the point of view of what the pull is. So you will have an initiative in the organization where it's, it's actually about reducing risk. So, like, and GDPR, I think, is a great example. So it'll be a whole bunch of work that's dedicated to GDPR. And the point at which you're doing that, you're going to fix a different debate, set. So yeah. It's your GDPR. Now I get my brain's got to re, re uh, factors. Yes, yeah. so I, I need to see risk. As you need to see risk. And you're going yeah, to okay, fix okay. a different set of defects okay, okay. than if you were trying to improve well, quality. Um, that gets to my second kind of question, and like, like my head's still not getting wrapped around. So, like, like we were the, the stuff that I agree is like brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea that maybe there's like um, I'm still not sold on that. Like, you should just have defects be defects. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if there's an abstraction, so as a categorization for work, yeah, I'd rather it be defects. For if if there's a categorization of alternative abstractions of the, what's going on, mm-hmm. then I love the risk category. Right, so now, because now I can actually, yep. if that's what it is, then what it is. now I can actually see it in yep. the what's the what's the status of the workflow of exactly. all the issues that yep. I can turn into this view yep. and say what is the cost? Yep. Uh, you know, have I done some calculation on GDPR and for, for yep. you know, all that stuff? Like yep. the presentation from uh, yep. the woman from Nike yesterday, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Definitely. So, but this is the second part. So I, yep. I love the abstraction idea. Yeah. Oh, did you want to? follow Oh no. On so, that? so John, concretely, what this means and how we work is. Under a defect, we will have sub-work item types or sub-issue types for the kind of defect this thing was so that we can actually map it and track how much work went into security-related defects versus you know, so, availability-related defects. So maybe king for a day, which is not going to happen, but um, the, um, you know, what I would like to see notionally from what we're trying to drive as a movement is that people notionally understand the concept of a defect and vulnerabilities of defect yep. and these things are that. But notionally, risk is like a, an abstractive view of that, mm-hmm. unless it's a exactly. bucket of the classroom. Okay. Exactly. So here's the other part of what you covered yesterday, a little bit in the book too, but um, is so you're, you're spot on about like if we come in and just started doing kind of um, you know lead time, and I call them macro level. Kinda, mm-hmm. You had a better word for it. Flow time. No, but you had like the the type of variables that. That really don't give you insight. Oh, there. proxy. Oh, metrics. proxy variables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and to be clear, because you know Nicole Forsgren would tell yeah. us very quickly, everything's a proxy variable. But proxy well, metrics are metrics of activities, not results. So, so, that's the so idea, the, yeah. but this is interesting. You know, again, this take more time on to. But in some ways, proxy variables are awesome because if these, like Berta Wargos years ago, I saw him uh, do a presentation, the CTO of Amazon, and he was asked, like, "What do you guys monitor?" He gave he gave the history of their architecture. It, mm-hmm. it was really cool. 
It was a very low key in Seattle. Had to be a chef. I couldn't sit in on it. And uh, and then when he did some of the other guys, what do you monitor? And he says, well, in one sense we monitor everything. In one sense there's only one thing we look at: order rate. Really? And he said, how many order rate? Order rate. And so in a proxy variable, right? Yeah. To them, like yeah. CPU memory, yeah. like like. They had, you know, many years of heuristics yeah. of, you know, in a sense, system process control, right? Yeah. Uh, upper well, control limits. And like at 2 o'clock on a Wednesday, as long as it wasn't like yeah. a, a FIFA, you know, world tournament, like yeah. it basically had to be within those bounds. Yeah. And if they were in the bounds, then like life is good. And actually, Jason Cox does this to some extent at... Uh, they do manage all the properties. Yeah. So this certain time of years, if like the um, registration rates yeah. are like incredibly low during Christmas... Yeah. Like, it's already red, no matter what else is going on. Yeah. So in that sense, then I, and if you get to see Shannon's presentation today, she, you know, she has adversarial retention rate, right? Like, that's a proxy variable. Like, nothing else matters, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can go investigate all the things that lead up yeah. to that, but if uh, order rate is, is outside the bounds or yep. the adversary retention rate is really some, one of my known adversaries is here for a long time. So in that sense, proxy variables are awesome. I, but here's the point. I love your point in that, when they're not awesome, mm -hmm. and they're not awesome, and correct me if I understood your presentation well yesterday, is that when we go ahead and have these incredibly decoupled, or uh, in this sense, this is bad decoupling, decoupled systems, and we try to value stream map them, and we look at the kind of the lead time or that, but, but we really don't, like we got this goes to Salesforce, we got a TIPCO, mm -hmm. we got an order trading system, mm -hmm. and there's just so much stuff that we really don't know the underlying, um, you know, I've seen people um, from Google going to one of my clients and try to help them understand how to get uh, Kubernetes running. Mm -hmm. And then they show how the, the container actually connects to data pipe, IBM, which goes back to a COBOL system on a mainframe. Mm -hmm. Which, and they're like, oh yeah, I guess that would be hard to upgrade. Right, it's that, which is the non, you know, web scale business. Mm -hmm. And so what, I heard what you were saying is that, you know, our notion is to put a nice abstraction around Mm -hmm. So that we like we, we get all the glue points of all that stuff, mm -hmm. and then we can look at that in, in a better piece. Mm -hmm. Because um, if we kind of notionally hop over a bunch of these kind of nasty decoupling, yeah, the proxy variable then becomes very misleading. Is that because I, I want I want to follow up with that, but I'm not sure a, I'm on the right. Yeah, so I'll just quickly paint a picture for that, and then you know the thing that like characterized for me this yesterday in the talk was so we've got all these proxy variables for different segments of the value stream. And then Kevin Fisher from Nationwide said, well, when we measured, and you know, we actually helped them measure this uh, a couple years ago, how much activity was happening in development, how much wait time was in development, it was two and a half percent of the time it took to fix a defect or to deliver a new feature to market. And the thing that drove me crazy is companies thinking that they can measure, their, first of all, they're calling lead time, which is meant to be the customer's perspective of when they get things. Because in the end, all I'm trying to do is say, stop measuring proxies for your activities, start measuring things from a customer's point of view. From yeah, yeah. when well, they I mean, want something to when they got it. All right, so, so I, I'm overthinking. Yeah. But, but here's the thing I want to make sure I got right or wrong. Because yeah. I, I'd either like, like, not that you have to be blessed by me, but like I'm like total agreement or I'm still having yeah. experiences. So I got all that, right? Like, yeah. you, like you go to end to end. I didn't get it was that, that, that simple. Like it's just end to end. Just end happen. to end. It's and just then, end to end. And the fact that there are so much hard things in the place. And I actually have yeah. a customer right now that I'm going to actually 
trying to bring you guys in for like a ten different ticketing systems, right? Right. And I got to get them to Jira, right? So, yeah. But but that's a side story. But so you're saying that so we got all these things and like it's just really hard to do the value stream there because like yeah. your expertise and the people got to get room. So if yeah. I build the abstraction, yeah, on it, then I get the better visualization. But here's yeah. my here's my one thing I'm just still struggling with, and I, I like all that. And then you're right because yeah. our clients got Tipco and they've got you know trading systems, and, yeah, and they're connected to GitHub and some things can't go into GitHub. Like, the one I wonder though, if I put that layer of abstraction mm -hmm. in my, it's almost like why I mean, this is why I'm terrible at this, but I hate um, RPA, the robotic stuff right now. The robot because, process because automation. Because I think what's going to happen yeah. is we're taking all this bad stuff, yeah, and we're putting an abstraction around it to make it look better. And here, so yeah. my fear, yeah, is that if we put that abstraction on it, do we kind of lose the opportunity to just pound the stressors? Yeah. In other words, I want to I want to be pounding the stressors so they yeah. can bubble and I can attack them. Yeah. So help me understand where. Yeah. I'm so the, the book I didn't touch on this yesterday in the talk. The book does go into this, which is that I think we have to look at our value streams as the parts. So first of all, yes, I think your reaction to that is we're missing the opportunity to get rid of all this crap right. we yeah, put in place. Right. That is the right way to think. So the question is basically this fundamental complexity versus accidental complexity. Because we all work with customers who've acquired eight companies, and that's why they have eight Agile tools. Yeah, no. Right? You don't want to have eight Agile tools. You want to have one. If you're really going to end up on both Azure and Amazon, you might have two. Because you'll have Azure DevOps, you know, the, the old you know, was TFS, and you'll have Jira, right? So you'll probably end up with, with two. But really, for every... Ideally, you want one. And what's, what's actually so fascinating to me is that if you look at what the tech giants have done, they, first of all, have all created their own what we call value stream network in basically a single tool, right? The amount of stuff that Microsoft manages through yeah, exactly. So this still, you'll still end up with, but we can kind of chalk that up to accidental complexity, right? Yeah. They acquired GitHub, yeah. so now that they actually do have two systems of record, of record. You want to end up with the absolute minimal number of systems of record, but there's been so much specialization in the types of work in IT that a tool like Jira, even though they added SLAs in Jira Service Desk, guess what? That is not the favorite tool of people working on customer engagement and customer experience because now, of course, the ServiceNows and Surewells of the world, they're realizing, okay, well, we, there's all sorts of cool stuff we can layer on to the service desk, idle type tools that Jira doesn't do, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's a similar thing. You know, a tool like Jira is not great at roadmaps, right? So people do crazy things right. in Confluence or in SharePoint on roadmaps, yeah. but now we're getting product management tools. We, at Pastup, for example, could not uh, survive without a product management tool layered on top of Jira because they make roadmaps visible, right? And they make more customer-specific things visible. Just like Salesforce, right? Salesforce is an incredible system of record for tracking what customers are asking for, which is why we sure. use that. Yeah, yeah, so, 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 John, but what you're saying is right. It's like, first, rip out, you know, don't integrate. Like, first, rip out all the crap that you've put in place, get to the right. minimal but number of systems of record, then put this layer of abstraction on. And, and again, this goes back to, like, I gotta get myself out of my headspace into, the headspace of people who don't think like me, which is, I think, which is actually brilliant about your product, which is you have to crawl more from. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. You know, even the, the paper that Dominica was on about managing multi, managing multiple systems. Yeah. Like that that tells you there's three ways to do it, right? Yeah. One is I feel with the first one. The last one is rip everything out. Well, yeah. Truth is that just doesn't happen. Yeah. So the middle is like a stranglehold pattern. This. Yeah. And that is exactly what yeah. you guys no. do. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think actually that's the more enlightened, like I think your, what you said initially is probably the right mental approach is like rip out now or you'll never rip it out. Like whenever you have a chance to do a change, get rid of the old systems. Then the actual more realistic version of that is put in place a strangler pattern. If you've got, you know, any of like any of the old tools and some of them are very specialized. I actually believe doors, IBM doors or what was Telelogic doors, that tool will outlive us and our children, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boeing's got the, for the Dreamliner, you know, this plane I put on here yeah. on the cover of the book, Boeing's got all the requirements for the software in the Dreamliner indoors, and that, that plane has 70 years of maintenance ahead of it, right? So, you have to still run <laughs> TPF. Uh, yeah, yeah so, so you've got some, that kind of weird fundamental complexity in the tool chain, but yeah, rip it out and then yeah. do the strangler pattern on your tool chain. That is, I think, some of the best So advice. I guess my only last question, how do I get some uh, kind of board options for your company? <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys are going to be, you're going to do incredible that, well. That's a great segue to, to yeah. the ending here. What's the future vision here, Mick? When you've got a picture in your mind that you're trying yeah. to move the industry, what you got in mind here? Yeah, so I think, you know, the first thing is, I think, just build on the amazing technical practice. Actually, all, like, the near-term future is just, allow these large companies to implement like the things that John has learned and the vision around how you, you know, bring security into the development process. Just, I just want to create uh, basically a framework that makes that stuff easier because it's at these large scales it's been harder, right? So, um, but then also to basically make sure that these organizations actually give their technical people the room to do that, whether it's through budgets, it's through giving them um, the autonomy to implement these things. And that's really, the reason that I really want project to project to resonate at the business level is to you know, just give the technology people the right chance to, whether it's re-platform, reduce the tech debt, rebuild the, you know, create a, a continuous delivery pipeline, those sorts of things. It's just, just to make sure they realize that they need to invest in that. And in the same way that I think you know, the Phoenix project just, just put this buck in people's heads is that this, this stuff is core. You don't outsource all of IT, or if you do, you're not going to last, right? So it's just to manufacture that space for people to do this, this great technical work and, you know, help create the tools that make that easier, just like all these vendors are creating the, the amazing tools that specialize in different segments of the value stream, help connect those tools at the, 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 kind of our, the, the level of our product. And then the next, the next thing, and this is where Gene and I have been um, you know, brainstorming more and more, is to help present this in a way that makes sense to people on the legal side, the finance side, and so on. Because fundamentally, those are the people who are going to, you know, to provide the runway, right? Like, we have to communicate. We've already, I, I just, you know, I, I think this community has figured out the technical practices. Yeah, yeah, we, got, we, we have to figure out a way, and this is where I'm putting a lot of attention, to allow the business people to understand how to do that, how, you know, if you outsource, guess what, chances are you're not gonna get there, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and just at, at the most coarse level, but how to allow the people to implement this, you know, these new ways of working and becoming software innovators. And then interestingly, like I have been, you know, getting more interested in how we actually connect, like, to the finance side, right? Like well, how we get away from pro like project budgeting yeah. is wrong. Well, what we replace so it with? You know, so that's interesting. So in London, right, uh, the CFO from uh, Nike was there. Yeah. And she was sitting on sessions, coming back, yeah. asking Courtney, "How come we're not doing bug bounties?" And hmm. yeah. And, I, and at night, I, you know, we went to dinner, and I was telling one of the other people about like, kind of the four metrics from Dora, you know. Yeah. And she's like, "Hold on," she pulls out her notebook. It's yep. the CFO. They're the CFO of Goldman Sachs, right? Same thing. He's talking about like, you know, um, technology 
Yeah. There, I think maybe it's something, yeah, so this is the, maybe the CIOs is just a broken job. Right, and maybe That's what we need to be doing is yep. going after the CFOs because if we can, you know, as I'm seeing, I, you know, I, I, two examples of a Nike CFO and the Goldman Sachs CFO who totally get it more than ninety percent. Why? Of the CIOs. Why do we? <laughs> so you, you're making me think that we actually are having more CFOs attending CIOs. That, that yeah. does like, right now. And then like they, like win right. Like if the CFO goes back right, okay. Yeah. If they get that yep. notion, then like they they control yeah. the budget right. Um, yeah. And I think there's something here because, like, I was, I got in writing the book, I got really interested. And so, Goldratt, one of the things that he worked on um, was throughput accounting. Oh, right? totally, yeah, yeah. But it completely flopped. Like, it was. What was that again? Well, throughput accounting. Yeah. It sort of flopped as in the sense that brilliant set of ideas that CFOs did not latch on to. And my CFO actually worked in lean manufacturing. So, I've been working with him a bunch on, like, basically figuring out how can we move away from these old things. Like, they've got, CFOs have project-based accounting as a methodology, how can you create methodologies that give the right room to the, the technical people? Or, yeah, I mean, yeah. And agile, yeah, so there's or, agile or, or, budgeting, there's, 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 yeah. there's well, you know, put together these lean budgets and so on, and they're probably, I think, it, again, great set of ideas, probably a bit too radical, so can we, can we find a common ground that allows people on the technology side to do this great work, to invest in tech debt reductions, and allows the CFOs to account for that problem. My brain's kind of spinning now, but you know, like what Gene did with auditors, maybe DevOps, maybe what we should I was do. going right there. Have a conference, yes. so let's skip the CIOs, and like, remember they went into the whole auditor thing? Yeah. Let's just bring a conference of CIOs, you know. <laughs> that, what's happening with in our industry that. is that yeah. the auditors had started coming and learning about Shaft and pop and then yep. all this delivery, and they yeah. all started collaborating, yeah. and maybe now there's room for CFOs. Totally, and I'm reading this, to, I'm reading this book now, um, Capitalism Without Capital, right, because What's so interesting is that we've, we're basically in an industry of intangible assets. There's no planes or cars, there's just knowledge, right? And the accounting systems that you've got today, even for like, this book touches on things like GDP calculations, right? They just don't work properly, but CFOs need them to work properly because they're allocating spend and risk and so on. But Hal Varian, it's way back, Hal Varian is the chief economist at Google. He's actually a professor too. He did this thing about combinatorial um, innovation, and like the same, almost very like Perez. Yeah. But he, one of the things he talked about this one, and maybe it goes into the age thing. Yeah. This is nothing physical. Yeah. The thing that makes you know the, um, the you know basically um, the, the change of weaponry, the um, uh, integrated circuits, like all those transitions. Yeah. Like those were combinatorial technology revolutions. Yes. He said, but the difference between all those and this one is this is bits. Yep. I can replicate five, I yep. can replicate a hundred. It's unlimited it's, scale. Yeah, and so it changes yep. scale in every direction. Exactly. Right? So, but he does a really good exactly. presentation on... But I think you guys are... Yeah, I think what you're saying is the right thing is that, like, what, what it hadn't occurred to me, what if... Um, and the book's intended for CIOs, so I hope so. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but what if we... Like, there, you could you could go straight to CFOs because they profoundly care and about how spend is allocated. And that's, that's and the weird thing. Up. They're showing up yeah. at our conference. Let's tie this up in 30 seconds. You've got a platform here. What do you want people to walk away with here? I want them to walk away with a, a, just a concrete way of ripping out the messed up thing they're doing right now with this project management and cost center mentality that they've got today and replace it with something that will actually allow them to, again, to innovate, to invest in software in the right way and to, alloc you know, to give their teams, um, their value streams, the, the room to innovate. So again, rip out that layer, put the flow framework in place and, and innovate.
This is the DevSecOps Days Podcast. DevSecOps Days Podcast is supported by OWASP, dedicated to enabling organizations to conceive, develop, acquire, operate, and maintain applications that can be trusted. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically control open source risk. <laughs>